You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 237 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. It's the last Sunday of the month and as per usual we are going to listen to a pre-recorded talk. This time let's go with something that at least to me never fails to be a bore. Which is a talk by Terence McKenna that he gave way back in May of 1993. And as always, it is as relevant today as back then, in my opinion. Terence begins the talk discussing his experiences of practically being bullied as a young kid. Then he goes into talking about an engraving by German Renaissance artist Albert Dürer called Melancholia. A very interesting painting or engraving that you can actually look at easily because it is the cover photo of this episode. After all that, Terence goes down the rabbit hole as he always does and there are many interesting things he brings up. Towards the end of the talk he even touches on the Amanita Muscaria. I've edited this talk heavily for your listening pleasure, removing... uh, questions and comments and removing bits that I've already played on the podcast in other Terence McKenna talks. And uh, this talk I'm recording now was originally broadcast on the Psychedelic Salon back in 2015. So sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's Terence McKenna. I've always been sort of a knowledge freak. I mean, I was a very weird kid. (laughs) I I knew I was weird when it was happening, but now that I have a 15-year-old son and watch how he does it, I realized how absolutely weird I was and how alarming I must have been to my parents. (laughs) And um, I I was not socially adaptable at all because I had bad eyes and poor coordination and I was very easily intimidated and uh, like you know the story of my uh, early schooling was in a town of only 1200 people I was able to find 1700 different ways to get from school to my house in order to avoid being pounced upon by roving cannibal bands of my peers (laughs) who had sworn to get me and they never got me it was astonishing and the other thing I discovered early on, and maybe this is too psychotherapeutic to waste time on, was but that I could hold them at bay with story. And essentially I became like the, the king's jester, you know. I became, and then I could hang out with these lumbering, lumpen people because <laughs> I, I was always willing to verbally outrage and say crazy things. I mean, like one of my things that really got me a lot of points with the tough guys was I could stand up in class and very rapidly speak sentences into which I could occasionally drop obscenities, but you just couldn't quite hear it. (laughs) 
but the kids could hear it, but the teacher couldn't, and it, and it was this. Uh, <clears throat> So, so that was my scene. But in terms of the relationship to knowledge, I just, uh, I love, it's what William Blake said, you know. He said, um, attend the minute particulars. And, and that's what's interesting, I think, is um, the details of the distinctions among things. I mean, that's why I was a butterfly collector, an art historian, a Tibetan art hound, a rainforest botany person, because what it's all about is the incredible variety of morphological expression in the world. Now, I suppose a Buddhist would recognize this as a serious sangsaric hang-up, you know, that I love the texture of the uh, apparent visible world. In my morning meditation this morning, I had this image of a of uh, a work of art, which many of you know, I'm sure. It's Durer's etching of melancholia, and it shows an angel in the foreground, and she has the instruments of geometry, and there are zoological collections and maps spread out, and a, and a orrery of the solar system, and she's holding her head. And this strange geometric form is beside her. Well, I've put a lot of study into this geometric form and tracing its history and so forth, but that wasn't what caught my attention in the meditation this morning. It was that I, I realized or I recalled that someone had said that this might be a, a medically uh, accurate portrayal of, of migraine and perhaps the earliest, because Durer was interested in, the path, in pathology. And then I got the thing for the first time, which was that the angel is, has a, a headache because of the proliferation of, of this technological artifactoria of all sorts that is spread around. And it's this amazing picture of uh, historical exhaustion. Uh, I don't know how I got off onto that. But anyway, uh, this thing about complexity and appearances, uh, I, I, I think the way to get into reality is by running the edges, as I've said. And for me, the entry drug was science fiction, definitely, because that permitted anything I suddenly got the idea, ha, huh, the imagination sets the parameters. If it will work in your head, that's good enough. You don't have to go further than that. You can build machines, societies, <coughs> organisms, relationships in your head. And if when you run it, the gears turn and the wheels go and it works, then that's it. It works. You don't have to go further than that. And... Uh, well, it sort of is working here. I mean, I'm amazed at, at what I'm seeing happening. I mean, I have the feeling that we're just calling it into existence, that it's working. You know, just don't drop the ball, no, don't jinx it, nobody say too much, but we're, it's turning, I can feel it. I mean, it's like turning a battleship with a canoe, but it's turning! You know, and it's enormous, so it's very hard to deflect its momentum. Nevertheless, by holding this 
point of view, somehow it's working. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, I wouldn't have believed it possible. It's, it is that the world is made of language. And it is that by a certain act of contained concentration, if you are with the Tao, it begins to shed its secret or it begins to open ahead of you. What's that thing uh, by W.H. Auden about um, a glacier rattles in the cupboard, the desert sighs in the bed, and the crack in the teacup opens a door to the land of the dead. It's that, you know, it is a linguistic structure. You can decondition yourself sufficiently to actually step outside the cultural illusion. It's a breathtaking possibility because nobody knows what's outside the cultural illusion. I mean, you know, Plato got it right. We are chained in a cave watching the flickering shadows of something. But uh, life taken with sufficient seriousness and pushed hard enough at the edges, then this stuff will um, give itself up to you. And it doesn't, it isn't about belief. It isn't about commitment to guru or dogma or method. It's about observational integrity. It's about witnessing and, and, and some kind of primacy of self. In other words, you have to believe that you can tell shit from Shinola. And when you say it's shit and they tell you it's Shinola, you have to vote with your own side, you know. And um, it's very interesting. The, the world is uh, like a labyrinth, or as I said yesterday, it will be mastered by a feat of understanding may sound exotic, but if you want to meet the alien and have a relationship with something very strange that loves you, but that is very, you know, a lot different from a house cat, uh, you should grow this stuff. First of all, it's white as the driven snow. Uh, Melvillian associations aside, there's something to be said for this. Uh, and then it will take rye which you buy in a, in a health food store for $17 per 100-pound sack, and it will take rye and it will convert it with a 12% efficiency to dried mushrooms. 12% efficiency to dried mushrooms. I mean, this thing is like, uh, it just wants to enslave itself to you. It will work like a dog. I've never seen anything like it. And uh, it uh, promotes uh, virtues such as cleanliness, the primary virtue in Western civilization, uh, attention to detail, awareness of scheduling, uh, all these uh, grounding uh, qualities. And then at the end, it will deliver to you, you know, the alien body of the higher and hidden uh, unspeakable. And... Uh, I suppose I should say that my brother and I wrote a book about how to do this, which you can uh, is around. It's not under the name McKenna. We 
did it pseudonymously. It's called Psilocybin, the Magic Mushroom Grower's Guide. But literally, if you, if you want to turn your life into pure science fiction, uh, this is the way to do it. Uh, because then you have it. And, and it's, not, it's not the dried stuff that's rubbery that only works half the time that costs an arm and a leg. It's the living quintessence of the thing. And my Lord, I mean, from that point, you know, you are your own Magellan and and need take uh, lessons from nobody because the universe that it opens up to you is is so large that really you can be confident you'll see things nobody's ever seen before or will ever see again and technically it's not that difficult i mean it's it's at a, the level of a hobby it's a little trickier than canning jam it's up there with growing sprouts in little trays or culturing yogurt or something like that. Because it is, you know, all you have to do is like just wake up for a moment and realize that, of course, space is not an, an impermeable barrier to life. I mean, it's a tough barrier, but I've been in the Seychelles and in the Hawaiian Islands. These are mid-ocean islands that have been populated by life that has drifted in there. And when you think about the fact that a single Stropheria cubensis mushroom in the sporulation phase, which can last up to three weeks, sheds three million spores per minute for three weeks, one mushroom... <laughs> one mushroom. So, and then you have, you know, the dynamics of the atmosphere. Uh, they pick up off the Antarctic ice shelf uh, chunks of Mars half the size of your head. This is now established that a an asteroidal impact on Mars ejected material into Martian orbit that eventually percolated into Earth orbit. And you know now the way meteorites are prospected for is they eventually put it together that on the Antarctic ice shelf, where the wind is blowing 150 miles an hour most of the year and cutting the ice away, that you could fly, and there's no land, what you eventually would get to is the Antarctic Sea, that you can fly over those ice shelves in helicopters with high-powered binoculars, and any black spot is a meteorite or an asteroid fragment, because what the hell else could it be? You know? and, uh, and they've like tripled the world's inventory of meteoric material in the last five years through this prospecting technique. They have found a whole box full, like 20 different specimens that they are confident are lunar material, ejecta from, a, from cometary impact on the moon, but two strong candidates for Martian origin. And we're talking about fist-sized donies, you know. So the notion that the percolation of spores and biological material uh, is not possible, I think it will be concluded probably fairly shortly that life originated who knows where and has been percolating out through the universe for a long, long time. The danger is, uh, just to put it out there, is madness. 
I mean, we talk about stretching the envelope. We talk about running the edge. But you don't want to rip the envelope. You don't want to island yourself in a situation where nobody can make sense out of what you're saying. And yet, that's the game we play. It's always pushing. So what you said about reverence and absolute impeccability of attitude... And also, I think it's very important to be physically together, you know? I mean, I, it's important to be physically together anyway. I go to a gym three days a week, and I think of it as pre- preparation for psychedelic voyaging, because if your body is a clean instrument, uh, you can do it. The other thing is uh, technique. I mean... In the psychedelic state, if there are problems, there are techniques to deal with them. The best technique, and uh, Western people don't um, naturally gravitate toward this, but if if you get into a place you don't like on a psychedelic, uh, sing. You must sing. Uh, Most people's tendency is to clench. This is very bad because it can just grind you to nothing. What you have to do is you have to sit up and you have to sing, and it doesn't really matter what you sing. You will find the song. I mean, start out with row, row, row your boat and go from there. Uh, And uh, the other thing is, you know, the real issue I find in myself is surrender, that it's all very fine to sit here getting paid dollars per minute extolling this stuff, but boy, is it different to do it. You know, you can talk all you want, but um, the the thing is so, I don't know if scary is the word, but it's such a, it's so total what happens. And you're so vulnerable and you know that if there is any flaw, if there is any flaw in your approach or attitude, that that flaw will be magnified by the stress of the thing and become highly problematic. So it's all about asking the question, you know, am I ready? Now, this is not a, this is not how, how beginners approach it, nor should they. It's incredibly forgiving of, uh, of first, second, and third timers. But as it takes you in, what it gives is a certain measure of, for want of a better word, let's call it power. And the payback on that existential validity would be another way of calling it rather than power. The payback on that existential validity is that you have to be okay. And, you know, maybe it's my Catholic upbringing or something, but one cannot do the examination of conscience carefully enough because there is, there's always flaw. So it's about you know, staying right with it. It teaches the right way to live and also surrender. That's why I don't ever have an agenda. I regard having an agenda as, as essentially aspiring to be a magician of some sort. And I don't. I don't. I want to witness it. I am perfectly content to be present at the miracle. I don't want to do the miracle, and I don't want the miracle to be done to me. I just want to, to be there uh, 
Frank Herbert, in his book Dune, said something which over the years I've found, though it sounds flimsy to say, it actually works. Some of you may recall that in that book they had this drug called Stroon, and it did pull you out through time. It was not just a drug. It it revealed, like I'm saying psilocybin DMT do, uh, the real structure of reality. And in there they discuss what do you do about the fear that comes with the, the gigantic, awesome dimensions of this vision. Uh, and he says, uh, or someone tells uh, the main character, fear is like a wind, and it blows through the mind. And what you must do is you must wait. And it cannot sustain itself unless you give it an object. And... Uh, this is actually true, I found, that fear, whatever it is, cognitively, physiologically, it's a chemical wave of release of adrenaline. And what you do is you just sit and watch it come like a bell curve and then recede, and then you're still on the surface of the ocean and the power of it has been defeated. But if you if you give it any object to cling to, you know, it will break white water and then the chaos will overwhelm you. Somebody once said to me after they took a mushroom trip, they said, I don't think I'll do that anymore. And I said, why not? And they said, because I'm not interested in insects that drive spaceships. which sums up psilocybin pretty well. Uh, Psilocybin is Apollonian and hortatory and grandiose. And it's interesting that they have these personalities. I mean, psilocybin is is kind of megalomanic. I mean, it says, history is ending, prepare for the departure, the crisis of the species is upon us, cosmic forces are intersecting, machines the size of Manitoba will be involved. And, and it's all about, you know, mankind prepare to depart for the higher orders of the galactarian hegemony and this whole thing like that. And ayahuasca is all about how rivers flow and family lines intersect and what is in the river and what is in the mind of the woman and what is it's like this very sensual telepathic gas which spreads out when you're in the rainforest and brings you into connection with everything it's also it doesn't speak it's you it's becomes like uh, the eye of a camera its language is entirely a visual language. It never speaks. It just shows you, showing, showing, showing. After a good ayahuasca trip, you feel like your eyes are falling out. I mean, you have been looking, literally looking with full attention for hours at this stuff with this, you know, this um, sense of it being distanced from you somehow. And then and, and, and DMT when smoked, not when taken in the ayahuasca situation where you get what I just described, but when smoked, like it trumps the psilocybin. It goes so far beyond it because it carries you into the part where you can't understand. 
the other one, the psilocybin communicates at least in human terms. I mean, apocalyptically, mega-technically, through these science fiction metaphors and so forth. But the, the, the DMT flash goes beyond that, and you say, this is truly the presence of an alien mind. This is not being filtered for my consumption at all. This is absolutely uh, just off the wall, whatever it is. Yeah, uh, We miss the point. Because we think the world is made of matter. Matter is simply a concept. The world is made of language. And since the hallucinations communicate in language, they are as, they are as real as anything else. They are helping make reality. Uh, the, it's crazy to think that the universe is made of quarks and mu mesons and neutrinos and stuff like that. I mean, who here has ever seen one or has the, even the most specious grasp of how you would go about looking for such a thing? That means that the hallucinations are real. That in that sense where Mia Farrow says in Rosemary's Baby, my God, this is actually happening... That's what needs to happen inside the psilocybin trip. We have this category called hallucination or intoxication or trance. And then we say, oh, it's only mental. And therefore, it's not real. Well, I've got news for you. It's all mental. And therefore, it is real. And the... And the big news is that while we've been waiting for aliens to come in ships from the stars, we have totally overlooked the alien nature of reality around us. And that by pushing into these mental dimensions, we discover a bewildering uh, fauna of uh, angels, demons, helping spirits, ancestor spirits. I don't... I only speak from my own uh, experience. So, for instance, I'm unable to pass judgment on something like voodoo uh, or, or uh, I, you know, tantric invocation or something like that. But I would, I, using reason, was able to confirm the existence of things that no reasonable person believes in. And, you know, this is impressive. And it's repeatable. That's the thing I want to stress. This is not some faith or something where you have to, you know, I don't know. It's just that it's a technology. It's a technology of ethnopharmacology. Uh, I think that, it, that perhaps dreaming is, you know, that perhaps every night we go as deep as these psychedelic drugs take us. There's, but there's something about, um, there's apparently very little short-term or long-term memory trace laid down mm. by these experiences. I think if we would just legalize these things and turn our creative science people loose on this, uh, what we really need is a drug that allows you to remember your dreams. That's it. And... Well, we have the concept and we have claims, but I mean one that will work for me. <laughs> uh, we didn't talk much about Amanita muscaria. Amanita muscaria is a very mysterious because uh, it, it is so variable over its range. 
uh, it's chemic, you know, it, it's seasonally variable, genetically variable, uh, geographically variable, and so it's the, you hear once in a while an amazing Amanita story. Most Amanita stories are that it's toxic and horrible. I'm convinced that you know it, it has to do with some very subtle chemical equilibrium that people find and lose. And probably when Amanita shamanism was flourishing, it was a case of where you really did have to go to a master to sort out how to do it without wasting your time or poisoning yourself. Let me say to the group, as far as Amanita and Muscaria is concerned, don't try this at home, folks. <laughs> uh, I mean, this it's, you, you know, out there on the edge of the bardo. I think, though, I mean, I hear what you're saying. If you're truly psychedelic, uh, the difference between living and dying is quite immaterial. Uh, no pun intended. Literally, if you, if you want to turn your life into pure science fiction, uh, this is the way to do it. Uh, because then you have it. And, and it's, not, it's not the dried stuff that's rubbery that only works half the time that costs an arm and a leg. It's the living quintessence of the thing. And my Lord, I mean, from that point, you know, you are your own Magellan. And, and need take uh, lessons from nobody because the universe that it opens up to you is, is so large that really you can be confident you'll see things nobody's ever seen before or will ever see again. Fear is like a wind, and it blows through the mind. And what you must do is you must wait. And it cannot sustain itself unless you give it an object. And uh, this is actually true, I found, that fear, whatever it is cognitively, physiologically, it's a chemical wave of release of adrenaline. And what you do is you just sit and watch it come like a bell curve and then recede and then you're still on the surface of the ocean and the power of it has been defeated but if you if you give it any object to cling to you know it will break white water and then the chaos will overwhelm you say I think you ask excellent questions I'm, I'm really um, you know the questions that you have are, are just excellent <laughs> the natural born alchemist podcast with your host Alex the man with the excellent questions if you want to support Alex that's me then please become a patron 
Show your support. Go to patreon.com forward slash natural born alchemist. If you do, all of your wildest dreams will come true. All right, that's it for this week. Don't forget to follow the podcast in social media. And if you got the time, leave a nice review on iTunes. Here's the song Beat Us from the album Maps by Nameless Archive. Go to namelessarchive.com if you want to hear more. See you in a week. Freedom is in the mind. Why, 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 why